The title of this message today, I've called it The Christian Marathon. Because in these few verses, Paul speaks about the Christian life as if you're running an Olympic marathon, running a race, and the attitude of running a marathon. How should I live my Christian life every day? What should my attitude be? And what is the secret of getting to the goal, running toward God? And what is the danger if I don't do that? Which is in verse 27. In this chapter, the thrust of it, Paul speaks about the ministry of preaching the gospel. He says, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the Gentile a Gentile, to the weak I become weak, that I might by all means win some to Christ. He's saying, I've been called to serve God, I want to serve God, this is how God has called me, this is how ministers should live, this is how the body should live, and in the midst of it, he exposes his own heart to the Corinthians. And he lets the Corinthians look inside of the heart of a man who is sold out for God, whose life revolves around God. He's saying, I live a life, and God isn't a part of my life. God is my life. My life revolves totally around serving him. I weigh every book, every experience in life, as to how it relates to the gospel. Everything I do relates to my serving God. And he opens his heart in verse 24 through 27, and lets the Corinthians look within. Paul the Apostle is a man of intense energy. In fact, I thought I could never ever meet a man like Paul the Apostle until I went on this trip. He was a man of so much energy. He had one purpose in life, one master, one goal, and nothing could swerve him from that goal. Nothing could swerve him from the purpose that God had called him to in serving God with a whole heart. He was committed, he was dedicated, putting all that he had into his Christian life. He was a man who took God seriously. He took his walk with God seriously. And in these verses, he speaks about the Christian life as running an Olympic marathon. Now, Paul's goal when he wrote this was to go to Rome. He desired to go to Rome because he preached the gospel through so many parts of the world. He says, I want to go to Rome. Maybe I can preach to Caesar. Maybe I can get to the one who's persecuting millions of Christians. And his goal was to go to Rome. He did get to go to Rome. And when he was in Rome, I'm sure that Paul many times watched as they led thousands of Christians into the Colosseum. Knowing that to follow Jesus Christ in Rome was an incredible commitment. And he'd watch thousands go into the Colosseum and the crowds cheer as the lions would come out and slay the Christians and eat them alive. I don't want to be gross, but the Romans would hang men from trees that are very, very low to the ground. And if they confessed, Caesar is Lord, they could escape. So all they had to say, just, just say Caesar is Lord, three words. Watch out for this, you can live. But if they said, Jesus is Lord, then bears would come out and tear them to pieces. This is the environment that Paul lived in, in the world, being a Christian. So he chose his words very carefully. And when he was in Rome, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. As people told him not to go to Jerusalem and not to go to Rome, he said, I'm willing to die at Rome. I don't care about my life. 
I've given God everything and I'm willing to even die if that's what God wants me to do. That was his mentality. In verse 24 through 27, in speaking about the race, Paul places every Christian on the starting line. On your marks, get set, go. They're all on the starting line. He says that every Christian is in this race. The Olympics that he was speaking about. And when he's speaking about the race, he had in his mind's eye the Olympics that started in Paul's day. And how the the Olympic runners would train and sweat and agonize to win a prize, a little wreath upon their head. And so he takes this idiom and incorporates it in the Christian walk. Saying that we too, all of us, are in a race. But one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain that prize. I'm sure most of you saw the movie Chariots of Fire. Great film. Uh, I loved his accent. God made me for a purpose. <laughs> and as he was running in the Olympics, Eric Little, he never compromised his walk. Although he was training as an athlete, he saw his life as running a race for Jesus Christ, so much so that he refused to run the Olympics on Sunday because he felt he should be in church on Sunday worshiping God. This is what he trained his whole life to be as an Olympic athlete. But it showed the parallel between running a race and following Jesus Christ. Now, before we dig into this in depth, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, please. It says in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What Paul is speaking about in Hebrews is that in verse 11, he named several people who walked by faith and who gave all of their energies into serving God, who committed themselves to following God and being sold out to God. So he names Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Isaiah. And he names all of these, and I like to call chapter 11, the Hallmark Hall of Faith. Because it's just filled with people who lived by faith and were sold out to God. Now in chapter 12, Paul is saying, now that you see all of these cloud of witnesses, all of these people who have sold their lives out for Jesus Christ in chapter 11, now he says, you're in the race. Seeing that we have all these witnesses around us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, they have run the race, now they're in the grandstands watching you run the race. Run and follow their example and give it all that you've got. Now, back to 1 Corinthians. First of all, we want to look at the attitude that we should have in running this Christian marathon. 
Second of all, discipline as a Christian athlete. And then third of all, the example of Paul the Apostle as he ran the race for Jesus Christ. First, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Verse 24 describes the attitude as a Christian in running this Christian marathon. He says, all of us are running in the race, but only one wins the prize. So run that you might win the prize. You could say that being an athlete is like a lifestyle. Being an athlete requires a lot of time. It requires giving up certain things and disciplining yourself. You can't eat Winchell's Donuts anymore for a while. It requires putting out more energy than you thought you had within you. It's just giving all that you can. It involves tremendous physical as well as mental strain and discipline. So verse 24 describes our attitude, the attitude of winning the race, preparing for the race to win the prize. Athletes spend months in training, but then the big day comes for the race. All the months of preparation are now come to an end and the day of the race begins. So you get out there and you're all decked up in your new Nike running shoes. You've got your glossy white t-shirt with your name printed on it, big number. And you go out there and you feel good. Today's the day. But then you realize that you're not the only one running the race. You see a whole lot of other people. And you get up to the marker and you bend down. And you look at the other people's faces running the race. You know that One's going to win the race and you want it to be you. Your heart begins to beat. Your hands get sweaty. You really haven't exerted any energy yet. You start getting psyched up, taking deep breaths. And you look out ahead. And you wait for the gun to go off. The gun goes off. And at that moment, you pour everything you have into running that race. You've been spending months, maybe years, training for this one day But this is the real thing today. You just don't go out there and casually walk around the track. You run. You pace yourself. Your lungs begin to expand. Sweat starts dripping off your body. You're exerting yourself. Have you ever looked into the face, maybe on television at the Olympics, of an Olympic runner? And you see the strain and the agony as sweat is dripping down his body. The determination that are in his eyes. Giving everything that he can to win. Paul says, that's how we should live Christian lives. Anything less than that, you'll be disqualified. We should be giving it every amount of energy that we can. Now, we're not preaching salvation by works. And it's sad that the church gets so confused with salvation by works and obedience to Jesus Christ. But he's speaking about pouring everything you have. Run. We're all running in a race. The gun has gone off and we're running, but now run that you might obtain that prize. One of the greatest weaknesses in the evangelical church today is that there are a great many people 
who are learning and reading and hearing and thinking and not acting upon what they're hearing and reading and thinking. And we break up and we have discussion groups about the Bible. And we analyze what this means and does this mean this? And way back in the Old Testament it said this. And we go, wow, isn't it beautiful? The Bible's put together by God. And we want to be known as learned Christians. Thinking Christians. Well, how about being doing Christians? Didn't James say, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Otherwise, you deceive your own self. So he says, don't you know that all of those, and that is us, who run in a race, we all run, but only one receives the prize. As I was flying back uh, on Air India to the United States, they have a little magazine inside their airplane. Excuse me, inside their airplane. And there's a cute little story, and it just grabbed my attention. I was convicted by it. It says this. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And there was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> hey, that hit home when I read that. That really hit home. I thought, God, are we just becoming learners of the Word? Because the evangelical church today has an enormous amount of good teaching, at least in the Western world. Enormous amount of great teaching. And we become spoiled at that. And we have the tendency to just soak in and not really obey what we read. And we can become like photographic film. You know, if you overexpose photographic film, the image is of no value. And we get bombarded with teaching and teaching and doctrine and Bible studies and sermons. But we need to become obedient to what we read. Sold out. You know, we talked about Paul being sold out. And about Paul talking about running a race and being sold out. We talk about commitment and being sold out. But we look at the churches today and we see a lack of that. Proof of that, we could have a concert and announce some famous Christian star and you'll have the church packed out. People overflowing. You say, we're going to have a prayer meeting on this day and we're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray to God for things to happen. You know it as well as I do. No one will show up. We're not serious about what God said in His Word. If we were, there'd be changes. Potlucks, everybody comes. Going out in the streets and witnessing, um, I'm not called or I've got some stuff to take care of. Run, verse 24, in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Paul says, okay, brothers, sisters, we're running a race. I'm in the race, you're in the race. Every one of us today who are born-again believers are running a race. Some of us are in the race and we're running 
top speed. There's determination in our face. We're giving it all that we have. There are others who are running the race and, you know, they're dressed and they're on the track. They're running, but they're slowing down. They're looking around at the people in the stands and looking around at the things of the world. They're becoming slowing down in their paces in their walks with Jesus Christ. They started out with determination, but now they're slowing down. Then some of us are running the race and we think, gee, I've got to run all the way around the track. Why don't I just take a shortcut right across the grass and I'll make it? And we become disqualified. You can't do that. That's not the rules. You've got to run all the way around. Then there's some who, I mean, they look great. They've got the new Nike shoes or the Adidas and the, and the trunks on and they look great. And then they just sit in the stands and watch. And if someone goes up to him and says, Hey, brother, how come you're not running the race? So often the response is, Don't judge me, brother. Your preaching works. You're a legalist. Paul's attitude is this. If we're running a race, if we truly are in this marathon, we should have one attitude. We should run with everything that we have to win the prize. Not as if we're in competition with the body of Christ or with one another, but run to obtain. Give it everything you have. Be doers of the word in commitment and obedience. Whenever you line up on a track, and before the gun goes off, the reason those runners get nervous and get sweaty in their heartbeats is because they know that only one of them is going to win. There's only one gold medal waiting. Yeah, a silver's okay. Bronze, third place, that's okay. But there's one gold medal. And their attitude is, I am going to put everything I have to get that gold medal. That's my attitude. I'm not just going to breeze through. I'm going to pour everything that I have into this race. It's worth that much. I've been training for months, for years. Today's the real thing. And I'm willing to commit myself to win the gold medal. God is not looking for people who are willing to give him spare evenings or weekends. But God wants people who are willing to make him first place in their lives. Total, absolute surrender. Running a race to win the prize. You know, we look at soldiers who go off to battle and we can accept the fact that a soldier will give his whole life for a patriotic cause. Oh, that's normal. It's for the country. You know, he sells everything and he's just in this weird green uniform and a helmet and he doesn't really have much to speak of and he's giving his life for a patriotic cause. But what about Jesus? I mean... We're in a spiritual battle as well. Why should we look at soldiers who give everything and are sold out for a cause and accept that, but not accept running our Christian lives, giving it all that we have? In 1903, there was a man who took 17 people and he discipled them, he trained them with his ideals. His name was Lenin. By 1918... He had 40,000 followers. Wow. With those 40,000 followers, he took control of 160 million people in Soviet Russia under the communist regime. Today, more than one-third of the world is under the control of communism. From 1903 to today, a third of the world. Now, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. 
Yet the amount of Christians per capita every year is diminishing, not increasing. Billy Graham, several years ago, when he was giving one of his crusades, read a story, read a letter of a young man who was an American college student and he went down to Mexico to study. While he was down in Mexico, he converted to communism. And the letter that he wrote was to his fiancée telling why he was going to break off the engagement. Listen to this letter. We communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into the great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through the subordination of the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in a small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and my meat. I work at it in the daytime and I dream about it at night. Its hold on me grows, not loosens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I have already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I am ready to go before a firing squad. Now, that is why communism, from 1903 to the present day, has claimed a third of the world in its ideals. Because of sold-out, committed people to the cause of communism. As we were preaching out in the streets, open air in the south of India, Kerala, there, was, there were several stands, tables filled with books, and the communists were selling them openly. We could preach against them, we weren't in prison for it, but... Nonetheless, people were just buying them and eating them. There were people who were willing to stand out on the corners and sell books and give pamphlets away to make sure that people heard the news of the communist regime. And now the state of southern India is under communist control, the government is. And the communists want to take what they've done to China and impose it upon India. But at the same time, God is moving mightily with the Christians in that country, saying, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to be an athlete and to run the race for Jesus Christ and not let the communists run the race. I'm going to run the race for Jesus Christ. That's their attitude. Beautiful, beautiful. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now notice verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown, 
but we do it for an imperishable crown. The second point that Paul the Apostle is making after the attitude of living a Christian life is the discipline that a Christian marathon runner should have in his life. And he says, everyone who is competing, who is running in the race, is temperate in all things. Let me read you what the Amplified Bible says. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. To be an athlete, as we have said, involves commitment. He has to give up a whole lot to be an athlete. He says, okay, I can't go to Winchell's anymore on the way to work because it's going to affect my waistline and i got to get in shape to run. i got to get up early and i got to run. I've got to start practicing, getting my muscles in shape. So they'll get up very early in the morning and they'll run. They'll discipline themselves. I remember when I was in track in high school, I'd get up in the morning and I'd run three and a half miles in the morning. I can't do this today. And then in the evening, three and a half miles. And I got up early and my life revolved around it. I wanted to win the 880. I never did. But my attitude is I want to win. And I was willing, I was willing to get up a little bit earlier to train, to lift certain weights, to not eat certain foods so that I wouldn't get overweight. And I was willing to restrict myself and athletes are willing to restrict themselves and to be temperate in all things, to be disciplined in things so that they can approach the goal, so they can win the prize that God has set before them. Not this Olympics, but the last, what was it, four years ago, the Olympics? There was a guy named Eric Hyden. Wasn't that his name? He did the, the, the skating, the race on ice. And his legs, have you seen his muscles? They're like that big around. They're huge. Well, maybe not that big around. But they're huge. You know how he got those muscles? By discipline and by exercise. By putting everything that he... His whole life revolved around winning the gold in the Olympics. And as he would race, and you'd see those quadriceps just stretching and pulling, and they were huge. He got those by working at it and by restricting himself. He was in perfect shape. And he paced himself. And he sweated. But he's out there to win the prize. And all of us who compete, Paul says, for the prize is temperate in all things. I think that a lot of us, including myself, need true spiritual grit. Because so often we want to give up when things get hard. Things get a little difficult and we're in boot camp or we're in training to run. And things get a little hard and we go, oh, it's too hard, I can't take it. We want the easy life, the easy way. To gain what Paul says in verse 25 is an imperishable, incorruptible crown. His message in verse 25 is, as Christians, stay spiritually trim and fit. Restrict yourselves on certain things. Set up your goal and work for that goal. You're already saved. That's not salvation by works. It's a life of obedience and commitment to God. Two different things. It's not a legalistic message. It's simply the message of following Jesus Christ. A man came up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. He says, you do, huh? You're not going to stay in the Hilton. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head. If you follow me, it might be a life of sacrifice. Are you willing to count the cost and to pay the price? We need to stay spiritually trim and fit for the Christian marathon. 
You know, we spend as Americans billions of dollars on physical fitness and leisure. Get this, here's a statistic. By the year 1985, we will spend as Americans $300 billion on fitness programs, leisure programs, programs to get our temples in shape. And that's great. I'm all for that. I'm all for keeping the temple of God in shape. But does that determination carry over into our walks with God? Are we that committed spiritually in running a race? He that runs the race is temperate in all things. Now they do it, verse 25, to obtain a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown. As they would run the race in the Greek days, they would run all the way around and the one who won first place would walk up to a seat called the Bema seat, the judgment seat. He would stand in front of the judges of the race. And if he won, a laurel wreath was placed upon his head. He felt wonderful. I won. In about two days, all the leaves on his little wreath would be wilted. It would only last. His glory would be but for a few days. Yes, he could say he won. But that little crown that he had would soon wilt and fade away. Paul says, if an athlete will pour out his life into reaching his goal to win for a little wreath that's going to fade away in a couple days, how much more should we when we're going to get a crown in heaven that never fades? Our goal is much more superior in winning the race than theirs. And then in verse 26 and 27, Paul gives the example of his own life. He says this, Therefore, I run this way, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Verse 26, he says, Now, I've just told you this wonderful doctrine of how to live the Christian life. I've just told you the best way to serve God. Now let me tell you about my own life, Paul says. He says, this is the way I run. Not with uncertainty. In other words, when I run, I don't run without a goal. I have a goal. I have an aim. And my aim is to win. I have a certain aim that I'm trying to reach. So when I run, I don't just run and say, well, I've got my nifty track clothes on and my Nike shoes and I'm going to I'll cruise around the track. He says, I have a goal and that goal is to win. And then the next phrase, he says, thus I fight, not as one who is beating the air. Now Paul changes his idiom around. And instead of speaking about racing, now he's speaking about boxing. He's saying, this is how I run, so I live my life in running a race. And this is how I fight as a boxer. He's using the idiom of a boxer. He says, not as one who beats the air. Now, what Paul is speaking about here is, in boxing practice, there's something called shadow boxing, where someone will just, just they're not really fighting anyone, they're just going around, you know, jumping up and down and putting their fists in the air and getting their moves down. They're not, there's really no enemy, no adversary. They're doing it for practice. They're just fooling around. It's not the real fight. Paul says, when I fight... I'm not just goofing around. I'm not just fooling around in my life. I mean business. I'm not just shadow boxing or just beating the air. I run with an aim and with a goal and I fight as if I'm fighting an adversary. And then he says in verse 27, but I discipline my body 
and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The words of a godly man. Paul is saying this. This is the way I live. I'm not playing around. I mean business in my walk with God. I'm willing to go to Rome and die knowing that thousands of people are killed daily in the Colosseum. I'm willing. I've already given God my all. I'm not in this life for anything but serving God. That's my sold out goal. And so he says, I bring my body under subjection. I discipline myself. Lest when I have preached unto others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul refused to let his body, his flesh, rule over his life. The comforts, the comforts and the ease of the flesh. Paul says, I refuse to let my flesh dictate how I should live. I'm going to bring it under subjection. I'm not going to let my body rule me and the comforts of this life rule me. I am going to rule by God's Holy Spirit over those things. I bring my body into, dis- into subjection. And this word, I discipline my body, you know what it means in Greek? It's literally, I beat it black and blue. Paul, what are you speaking about? Now, I don't think Paul stood in front of the mirror and went, <laughs> every day. He's speaking idiomatically of running a race, of being an athlete. He's saying, I will not let this flesh rule over me. I'm going to discipline my body. You know, as an athlete, you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, 5.30 in the morning, i got to run three miles. I'm, tomorrow I'll do it. I had a rough night. and I do this in my sleep all the time. When I know I have to be up early Wednesday morning for the prayer meeting, all of these things come through my mind. Oh, now if I get up, I could be, my immune system could go down, I don't have enough vitamin C, I could get sick. God, you don't want me to be sick. God, I've been up all night, you know, and ministering. And all these little things that go through my mind. And Paul says, I'm bringing all those things under subjection. I'm not going to let the flesh rule over me. I'm bringing it under subjection. I discipline my body. Lest, and what is the reason for this? Lest, when I have preached to others, I should become disqualified. He's not speaking of salvation. He's not saying, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be saved. He's speaking of being disqualified from the race. You know, if somebody just quits on the track or he goes out there and he, he's overweight and he, he's not meeting the Olympic qualifications, he'll become disqualified. If he steps off the track into the grass, he'll become disqualified. Paul was afraid that he would become disqualified from the race and not win first place. That was his attitude toward his Christian walk. Let's read verse 24 to 27 again. Do you not know that they who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. Therefore, I run this way, not with uncertainty or without aim. This is the way I fight, not as one who beats the air or is fooling around. But I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should have become disqualified. We live in a generation of superficiality. Let's face that fact, we do. There's a lot of God talk in America, lots of it. But Paul was one who took God seriously and who took his Christian life seriously. Not that he always walked around and was somber and couldn't smile, never had a sense of humor. I mean, God has a sense of humor. He chose me. He chose you too. 
but he was one who was willing to be sold out for God, to run the race, to win the prize. Not just to say, hey, I got my track clothes on, it's good enough. Hey, I'm on the track, I might be just kicking dust, but I'm out there. He says, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to give all that I have to the Lord. A few years ago, when I was in California, I felt God calling me out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'll tell you one thing, it's one move I praise God that I made. And as I was in California, I rode out here to find a job. I didn't find any jobs. But I felt so strongly that the Lord was calling me that I said, God, even if I don't get a job, I'm going to move out here. I feel strongly enough. Soon as I made that commitment to God, my car was giving me trouble. And I knew that my engine was about to blow. I knew I needed a new engine. All of these problems were going. But I came out here. You know, I, I felt pretty good about that. God, I've sacrificed to come out and to serve you. When I was in India the last three weeks, I was humbled. I met a man. His name was M. Paulos. Short, very, very thin. Never said much unless he was preaching to a crowd. When I met this man, at, at the first time that I met him at the airport, I knew that he walked with Christ. Just how he handled himself, his humility, his meekness. And we went to the hotel and we were able to spend off and on just a few days with M. Paulos. He is the leader over ten other pastors in the south coastal villages of Kerala, India, down on the coastal plains where the islands are. And he leads a, a group of ten other men who are leaders and they send teams out and they preach the gospel to the fishermen, the poor fishermen down in the south. He has no wealth in this world to speak of. His physical appearance isn't much to speak of. He wears a shirt, one shirt that he wears all week, and he wears basically a loincloth, which a lot of the Indians wear down south. Just real humble and meek. And I found out about him, not really from him, but from some of the others around, how he lives his Christian life. I found out that when this man accepted Jesus Christ, he made God his master and he literally became God's slave. And God called him to preach, leave his home up north and go down to the south, to the coast. When he left to go to this other state, his wife was eight and a half months pregnant. He had no money. He quit his job and he took his wife with him. And the leader of his church and his friend says, that's stupid. You're not providing for your family. He says, but I feel this call of God so strongly in my life, I've got to go. He went down and he went to some of the villages and, and just handed out tracts and shared the gospel. Beautiful little man. While he was there, he didn't have any place to stay. He couldn't find a home. People says, oh, you can't stay here, I'm sorry. Uh, if you tried to rent a house, he say, no, I'm sorry. No children allowed in this community. And so he just walked out on the streets and before the evening was over one evening, God gave him a house. Somebody came up to him and this is this is no lie, no joke. Somebody came up to him and gave him his house. And today he owns his own little home. When his wife delivered and they had the baby, they had no money to buy milk for the baby. For some reason she couldn't breastfeed the baby. And all they could give the baby was water. Now you think a baby's going to die. Just water with no nutrients. 
But they said, God, let this water keep this baby. Give the baby nutrition. We don't have any food. They were praying, calling to God. God meet our needs. The baby would cry. They said, day and night. One day, a man in the community came up to him and says, a letter has come from you and has 400 rupees in it, which is $40, which they can live a month on. So God provided, he said, and the strange thing, Brother Paula said, is nobody knew where he was living. He really didn't tell anyone when he moved from his state. But as he was sharing in the conference, he said, God knows where we are. I didn't have to make my need known to any man. God knows where we are. God found me and God provided for us. At that time, he said his children were in school. You know, as I began listening to this guy and hearing about him, I said, this guy's his name is Paulos, which is Paul. And he's living just like Paul the Apostle. His children were crying because they didn't have any food. Now, again, this is a true story. They had no food. And he said that he and his wife would kneel down at night when the children would cry and pray that the neighbors wouldn't hear the children crying. His eldest son, whom he named Billy Graham, the guy is an evangelist as well, not afraid of any man. His eldest son, Billy Graham, (laughs) sounds funny, doesn't it? Came to him one night and he said vomited a yellow fluid and he fell down and he fainted on the floor. He had no food. They began to pray. The next day, a man came to their house. Money orders started coming in. And again, he said, God knows where we are. God takes care of us. God provides for our needs. When he moved down to the south of India to preach the gospel on the islands and on the coastal plains, he found that the the literacy rate was very low. People couldn't read. So he'd pass out Bibles or tracts and it didn't do any good. He said the only way to preach these to these people and to reach them is with film, with slides or with a, a Christian film, something they can see and relate to. And then we can preach the gospel to them. His only hang-up is he didn't have any money to buy a projector. The next two months he made repeated visits to a hospital where he sold his blood. And he had enough money to buy the film projector to preach the gospel. I said, I felt so humble. I said, I've never, I've read about people like this in the Bible. I've never met such people who are willing to sell their blood to make sure that people won't go to hell without hearing Jesus Christ. Committed to God. Running a race. Putting all that they had into it. So the illustration that Paul says here is, brothers, sisters, run the race so that you want to win. Give all that you have to God. Be sold out individuals to God. Pour out everything to the work of God. Don't spare anything. Give your whole life for God and for the gospel's sake. And the secret is being temperate, disciplined in all things. It's not works, it's simply obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I guess the message that overwhelmed me, not only today, but the last three weeks, is let's beware of compromise. Let's beware of lax attitudes that lead to apathy, where we don't care about the church or about the work of the gospel, but we care about only ourselves. And then we can turn into salt without savor. 
of which Jesus said has no value. Unless salt has lost its savor, it is without value. Paul says, I watch myself. I discipline myself. I make sure that my walk is in accordance with my talk. He says, I want to practice what I preach. I love this church so much. And I'm convinced that we can sell out to God and God can use us in this community and in this state as He wants to use us. We can become powerful tools, powerful instruments if we run the race that is set before us with all of our mights and not let our lives revolve around a relationship or around an occupation or around anything else but God. Then, when we're sold out, God will use us in powerful ways. And notice what verse 25 says again. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it to obtain an imperishable crown. As they would stand before the judge and put on that little wreath, that little crown of leaves on their head, they felt so good for a couple days. But one day we're going to stand before God and God's going to place on us a crown of righteousness that will never fade away. Doesn't that excite you? We're going to stand before Almighty God and God will usher us in to give us a crown. How I thank God that someday we will receive a crown that is imperishable by His grace and by His love. And I don't want God to say, well, you just barely made it, Skip. Here you are. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You've run the race. The end of Paul's life, Paul says, I have finished the course. In other words, I have put all that I've had in my life into the race. And I'm ready to go home now. I'm ready to stand before God to receive that crown. And to hear those beautiful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, as we examine our hearts, we see that we are all in this marathon together. We're running the race. We're on the track. Some are running it with fervor. Some are slowing down. Some are sitting. Oh God, we pray that you'll stir our hearts. God, we pray that this morning that we will take what we hear and become doers of your word. Living out what we hear. Running the race with determination, being temperate in all things, not letting our flesh control us. For it's written in your word. And we pray, Father, that we can submit ourselves to your commandments. Because you've saved us by grace. We stand in you by grace, unmerited favor. But now you require obedience, absolute surrender from your servant. We say, make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. You're a servant. Make me one too. Help, Lord, those words to be accommodated.